Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Rango. This is a meta-American, computer-animated, Western comedy. Directed by Gore Verbinski. Our cast includes Captain Jack Sparrow, Davy Jones, Rebel Alley, Little Rock, not Clint Eastwood, Arthur Jensen from Network, Gil Birmingham, Doc Ock, and Milton from Office Space. I watched this movie on Hulu. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon Prime. Okay, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for Rango? Okay. A lizard bluffs his way to success and into our hearts. That's Rango. Let's get right into it with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Rango? Um, this movie is so weird. <laughs> That's what I like about it. Um, it's, it's a fun adventure with lots of strange twists. It has some really great voice acting, um, a really unique tale with some fun meta bits in there, um, and some really outstanding animation and incredible character design and, oh, amazing score. I mean, what is there not to love about this movie? What about you? Yeah, yeah I agree with all that. Um, especially some of like the cinema classics like Ave Maria and Ride of the Valkyries. These are two <laughs> these are two songs that are like so of course this is in the movie, like They're songs. like the like, Wilhelm scream of songs. Right, exactly. Like it's like you have to be a kind of a blockbuster to even have a chance at using these songs because of copyright and like how much it probably <laughs> costs. But um I, this feels like the type of movie that deserves that, especially with how meta it is, like you said. Um, great water animation, which I thought... Oh, yeah. It, it's so key with how much this movie focuses on the importance of water uh, that they got that down, and I thought they did an amazing job. I agree with you. The character design was very unique, and I loved the way all the different characters looked, uh, especially with the way that the people of Dirt initially all looked kind of rough and rugged and... and not necessarily evil but not friendly and by the mm. end of the movie that had definitely shifted and changed and you saw a lot more um you know they seemed a lot more hospitable and nice uh by the end um also i like the way that this movie pushes the line for what can be considered a pg movie oh yeah um, they definitely i mean I, I like thinking back. I'm like, I would hard. It would be hard to rate this PG-13. But there are certain times where I'm like, wow, this is PG. You know, it's <laughs> it almost makes me. Uh, it, it's it's like maybe there's some middle ground like E10 uh, in gaming ratings. You know, when there's it's not E for everyone. It's not T for teen. It's E10. E10. Uh, I see. Okay, <laughs> right on the edge there. Right. Exactly. It's a little bit more edgy. Uh, what about cons, Joey? What didn't you like about it? Um beans like what was her whole deal like I, I i liked that there was a prominent female character but i didn't understand why they like she had this defense mechanism that made her like kind of like someone to take care of i guess more so than her own character um and there was like a some like a weird kind of like love try like not love triangle but like a kind of like a love interest story that was kind of going on in the background between rango and beans that i don't know it was a little uncomfortable at some points um, oh, you mean like him kissing her when she's not freezes conscious? up? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was weird for sure. It was weird. Um, the also, I feel like the metaphor for water gets a little strained. Like 
like it's supposed to be money, but it's also supposed to be like this life saving thing. And like there was lots of things in the movie that they would need to have water in order to accomplish, and they don't because like their whole thing is that they don't have any water at all. So like I feel like the the it just gets a little bit kind of missed or I don't know it, it doesn't quite work a hundred percent of the time. But it, for the purposes and themes of the movie, it does work. Also, the movie is kind of gross at some points. I mean, there's like that, there's like that bird that has the uh, the the arrow straight through his eye. <laughs> You're just like, ugh. Like, I don't feel like I'd look at this for very long. Come on, that's unique character design. It is unique character design. I will definitely give you that. But it <laughs> doesn't it doesn't it also kind of affronts my eyes a little bit. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I. Uh, and we'll talk more about the metaphors because there was a lot of metaphors in this movie that I felt like probably had big meaning, but maybe went over my head. So obviously we'll get into that. But as far as cons for me, I was really disappointed that Rango didn't die. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> because they were so heavy handed with saying he was going to die at the beginning. And the first time I watched it, I felt like it, it really did add a lot to the movie that y I thought he was going to die, especially early on. You notice that they kind of lay off as the stakes get higher and higher. They kind of lay off of the narrator mariachi band, like kind of enforcing and reminding you that he's going to die. But early on, they're so heavy. They're like, oh, he won't last long. He's going to yeah, die Every time soon. you see them, they're like, he's going to die. And then they even say like, when's he going to die? Soon. Yes, yeah, and and I and the whole reason the first line of the movie is they're like we are singing this song to commemorate the life of a hero who had an untimely demise. Like the whole reason they're there <laughs> is because he died early, and that's why they had to do these songs. And um, at you could argue that it's like a nice little bait and switch. It's like oh, we told you he's gonna die, but he's not actually going to. But I felt like they got un earned uh interest or intrigue from me because mm. i was i was like wow that's really I, I like this idea of making us love this character but also reminding us the whole time that we're gonna watch him die and <laughs> i thought this could have been more um it it it, it definitely would have been a different movie you know i don't think you can get to the same end that they got to here by killing rango but i liked the idea i liked the direction they were going initially with that um and it for me it just feels like they kind of yanked my chain by not making anything of that um also i i wanted to get your opinion on this because maybe okay. i'm being oversensitive but i thought it was t like kind of unnecessary to have a bird that is an indian you know, where they're all, none of them are any sort of race or ethnicity. I mean, you have accents and stuff like the, the toad that is like hiding from the hawk initially where he's like, try to blend in, try to blend in that guy. He's definitely Hispanic, but like, I, I didn't, it didn't make sense to me that one of the characters was like, what's that daggum Indian doing? <laughs> you know, I, I just, how did that hit your ears? Okay. So. A couple of things. First of all, it is played by probably the only well-known Native American actor, Gil Birmingham. Um, but so that that kind of you know, he's, he's, no one's putting on brown face, I guess you could say. Right. Right. Um, also, this movie like really is like hitting the all the beats of a classic classic western, and one of those things is that there is a like an Indian character who's like very mystic and like in tune with the world and stuff. The the whole like broken English and like in and calling him an Indian and kind of not giving him like you know like kind of putting him to the side I guess as um, like lesser than I guess 
is uh, it's not great. I don't I don't like that very much. But if you pay attention to all the things that he contributes, it's just that he observes the the natural things that are happening around them, right? It's not so much like he has some sort of mystic connection with the spirit realm. It's more just like he just saw some footprints and pointed it out, and everyone's like, "Wow, you're so amazing at tracking and stuff." <laughs> like it's 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 kind of this. It's subtle, but like the joke is that he's all he is is just paying attention, and all everyone else is just so ignorant that they can't that he they think he has some sort of magic powers or something. Right, right. Um, which I, fair which enough. I think I makes think... it. I think that makes it better in a way. But it's still it's still kind of on the edge of being a little like of being a kind of a racist joke. Sure, sure. It, but I think you're right. I think that they stay on the right side of that line um, because it w- it would almost be if you're trying to be offended by this movie, it would be almost as offensive to exclude any Native American characters or homages to Native American characters if you're going to um, try to satirize the Western genre, which this movie definitely does. So, um, okay, I'll strike that one from my cons, but (laughs) I will die on the hill for Rango Should Have Died. Um, Anyways, (laughs) let's get into the overall section and really talk about Rango. So take it away, Joey. This is such a strange little movie. I love the way the movie progresses. I mean, it starts off with almost nothing. You see Rango, and you know he's alone. Uh, eventually, you kind of infer that he's in a cage, but then suddenly, on his cue, his life is turned completely upside down, and the the story gets more and more complex until you're left with a failed heist and a story of corporate corruption and greed. I mean, it gets... It gets so complicated. <laughs> it does. No, but I love the way that they start you out with so little context. It's just, I mean, even the fact that you can kind of tell he's inside of a, uh, like a tank for a reptile, you yeah. kind of can't even tell that. Like, it's so, um, like, bizarre that there's, like, this headless Barbie and this wind-up fish toy, and he has a glass of water that's his sized. Like, and it's, <laughs> it's so surreal. Yeah, especially because at that moment, you have no idea what the movie is or what, what's going to happen, right? I remember I read some comment or something that said that the, this movie, like the trailer doesn't give anything away about the, about the movie, which I remember when I saw the trailers when I was a kid thinking it was interesting. But then when I saw it, it wasn't at all what I kind of expected either. Right. I actually, I had no idea anything about this movie besides it starred Johnny Depp. And I heard it was good. I honestly didn't even know it was rated PG. I really expected this movie to be rated R. I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of. Sausage party? Yes. <laughs> well, a little like... bit. Yeah. But it, I mean, I think I, impl- I, yeah, I guess that was why I came to that conclusion. I jumped to that conclusion because I had heard it was so good. Um, but like I said, they definitely don't stick strictly to the whole PG thing. It's definitely not G rated uh, as plenty of animated movies are but i it, it, it also gets you a quick taste of how of um how meta this movie can be because the action begins as soon as he says that a, a, a hero needs conflict that's right and yeah exactly and then oh man it's an amazing animation scene where the the glass shatters and you see like the the car swerves and everything and he's like skidding across the across the asphalt and there's all these cars going by oh it's awesome um, and yeah, it's exactly what you're saying, right? That's how it starts. That's how it, it gets you in is it allows Rango to speak directly to you and he's putting on a show and he's addressing the issues that every story encounters. He's like, you know, my, my, 
you know, my character or whoever I'm playing is, he needs like more depth to it or whatever. And he's criticizing himself using the other props in his tank as uh, uh, like kind of foils to his own problems. And so it starts off very individualized, right? And, and then it grows slowly into this bigger story with many more like very unique characters yes but i i also liked how it was focusing on the idea of a hero and of a character because rango has such range and johnny depp has such range that he's able to portray himself in a very convincing way as these various characters but it's so hollow because it means nothing without context and more directly conflict um so i kind of like how they're like hey look don't you love this guy look at all the stuff he does okay now we're gonna set him on a journey and we'll turn him into a character that you can really appreciate um absolutely which, which it, it's so out in the open and so clear that that's what they're doing um and so intentional and yeah i really like that i do too so in many ways this is what has become a classic Western. Westerns have become one of the most self-aware genres in film. Uh, they often play with expectation and shift familiar beats around to build from a familiar structure to tell a unique story. I mean, just go back and and talk, what was the movie we did? Unforgiven. Um, Unforgiven, right. Yes. Uh, which is another like postmodern meta Western in a way. Um, so Rango's journey is the quintessential Western tale. It hits every single one of those beats and it knows that and it uses it to tell a very weird little story. Um, I think the thing that makes Rango stand out, uh, the movie, I mean, is that it has this unusually grimy set of characters <laughs> and his dedication to just purely epic moments. I got a I got a shout out Mark Crash McCreary who is one of the main like character designers for this movie. I watched a, a short uh, behind the scenes thing about it, and they they had a whole bunch of different um, artists that all contributed to this. And they all had very different styles, um, and all worked together and like stole ideas from each other to like come up with all these different characters. But everything eventually went through Crash, and like, he gave it its unique look and gave Rango its unique look. Yeah, I it's one of my favorite things about this cuz it's not your generic Pixar or DreamWorks characters. These are some weird looking uh fellas. Especially oh, yeah. like spoons. What even is spoons? <laughs> he's <laughs> like some sort of mouse, I guess. But he's got like but he's also like a prospector too. Like yeah. he's like he's like a like a, a like a one of those short guys that's like hunched over who's looking for gold. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like there's definitely a lot of human features or like influences of human features, but anthropomorphic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but obviously they're still animals. Yeah. Right. I mean, none of them are something what you want to cuddle. You know, you don't want to go out. No kid is being like, oh, I really wish I had a a Rango doll to cuddle at night. Like. <laughs> It does nothing about Where's him looks softer. my Bill action figure? Yeah. Like. <laughs> my scaly Gila monster. Well, while we're talking character design, I got to talk uh, Jake the Snake, dude. Oh, yeah. He was so badass. Like, seriously. Um, like, I mean, he's like pretty much your typical like gun-toting gunslinger or whatever yes. as far as his character goes. But the way he looks was so amazing. And when he showed up, he poured a shot of his own venom too i just yes. i really enjoyed when he was on screen oh it was so cool and like a rattlesnake so like first of all he's bigger than all the other animals right and he and the way he moves and everything he's like he's all very smooth but he's got all the like endless amounts of coils and stuff um and but then his rattle is like a machine gun I mean, that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> I don't know how that works or how that came about to be, but I love it anyway. But like instead, yeah, it is. And 
like to as a snake he doesn't have any arms so he can't like you know um like articulate himself in the same way that other animals did because they, they they look like people right they're like shaped like people but he isn't he's shaped like something else altogether so yeah that was rattlesnake jake is awesome um and voiced by bill nye who's like who also does uh davy jones so he's a amazing bad guy like just always the like the the spooky like i need you to to rough people up kind of guy you know yes and well in you going back to talking about the size difference and how uh rattlesnake jake was uh so much bigger than everybody else that kind of reminded me of redwall uh if if you ever read Mm, like if anyone listening has ever read the redwall series like being a different species matters you know and and in this one we had the snake can pretty much eat all the rodents but then the snake fears the hawk uh who you know the rodents also fear but it, it's kind of like this balance where there's a food chain going on so i liked that aspect of it as well oh yeah i really like it whenever they like really adhere to the animal side of the animals when they turn the animals into like two anthropomorphized then it starts to like the story just starts to become like oh they're just people but with animal skin right when they start hammering home like oh like you know they, they do certain animal things like rango like eats that dragonfly with his mouth or whatever like all of that together makes it into a um makes it into a more cohesive thing i mean i really liked the way that the town kind of consisted of like things that were clearly constructed by the animals to be their size but also human things that were just left out there that are still way bigger than them uh like for instance the the bank uses this big water jug like the office your classic office water jug uh is inside the bank vault and holds all the water and then also they had that hilarious bit where rango gets purchased from the vending machine where he was <laughs> he was disguising himself as licorice that was hilarious you know and but at the same time they have these guns that fit right into their hands clearly manufactured for use by these tiny animals and they have bullets too and tiny little vials for their water and stuff so there's like a bunch of like it's a combination of like oh we're just finding human stuff and we're really still just animals but also we're totally animals with like we wear clothes and we have tools that are our size and we're basically humans (laughs) right it's funny yeah it was a a fun little marriage of the of the of the two of them yeah definitely um but something else that i i definitely don't want to miss uh out on mentioning or praising rather is like just taking full advantage of the medium because this is a computer animated movie certain things are possible that aren't really are much more difficult to do if you're using real life actors or animals even um but like the scenes where he was walking through the desert um or, or rather when he was sleeping inside of like the sewer drain at the beginning and he dreams about the desert that was a very trippy sequence um that i thought really took advantage of being animated oh, yeah um and any of the other action sequences you there's a, so many long uh cuts where the camera follows the action in in a way that it ne- a real camera almost never could like fitting through little like areas and and following the action perfectly it's just so satisfying to watch um so i i think that was one of the the spectacle of this movie is one of the best parts as well oh absolutely i mean that that whole thing where they're that montage where they're going across the desert and it's like they're playing that song 
and then and the little mariachi band has the uh the electric guitars um <laughs> yes. it was so cool okay actually like a- okay i i hate to be like cinema sins over here but <laughs> they let me, my, my, let me get my bell out yeah well they definitely didn't have those like birds that they ride when they were when they went all the way like they went underground went all the way to like where they found the the banker dead and then that's when we have the part that the, the what's that dagum indian doing and he's like scratching himself molting and then right after that they're like let's ride and they suddenly have the birds that they ride so the implication uh, is either that they went all the way back to town got the birds and then rode or they just spawn the birds and ride them from there like it's some sort of western video game so um yeah definitely ring that cinema sins bell unless unless you can prove me wrong unless it's like no <laughs> no i don't i don't feel the need to <laughs> I like yeah. There's that part where they're walking in front of the giant like eye, and it like just opens up. Like, what is he, what even is that? Um, yeah, what it, is that? I thought it was like a metaphor for something. I I don't know. I, I watched think it, was just, it like, a cool few thing. times. I went back and like looked at that scene again. And one of the characters, I think the doctor, is like, "Yep, that's a big one." And it's yeah. like, "Okay, so you did see that? Why didn't you react?" <laughs> like, I think that was the thing. Was like, if they react, then the thing will eat them. So they just got to remain calm, I guess. What even was that thing, though? I don't like, know. It looked like a reptilian eye, so... Some sort of dragon underground. Ah, okay. <laughs> you know. I don't know. But, like, I really liked all those epic moments. And then there's that the uh, aerial combat scene. Yes. Oh, the, that was so good because the bats were like airplanes. Like they caught on fire and stuff and crashed and exploded. <laughs> crashed into each other. <laughs> and they had Gatling guns and everything. It was so crazy. It, it was interesting that there's like this three-tiered uh, existence within this world where we have humans who are just humans, basically. Um, they act like re- real humans. And then we have this like human animals where they're in the middle they they act like animals but also mostly like humans they're just smaller and then we have the animal animals which are used like animals by the human animals <laughs> they ride them and they don't yes. care if they die <laughs> it was uh interesting exactly. world this world building well, that's exactly well that's the thing when you get i mean with gore verbinski too is that because he, he directed those three pirates movies, he knows how to do like epic action. And so when he gets his hands on kind of a limitless medium like animation is, um, that's when you get like these really epic moments, uh, like these bats and vermin riding bats, shooting things, chase like and it's a whole chase and everything. Oh man! Oh yeah, no, it it's truly awesome. was epic. If I had to choose one word to describe it, it would definitely no. Be it's epic. epic in the in the appropriate use of that word. <laughs> <laughs> all right are we ready to move on to our easter eggs uh if you are all right um what do you got okay so pretty soon right before this movie was even made i saw i was watching nickelodeon as i did when i was a child and i remember this like short making of thing that i saw that um, I always thought it was really interesting. And then it literally, after, like the day or two after we decided that we were going to do this movie, this, this same clip showed up on Reddit. And I found like the longer clip and everything. Basically, uh, the, way they fil- the way they recorded the audio for this movie, or at least uh, like big parts of it, was by actually acting out most of the scenes in person. They had, instead of, like normally they have 
couple of actors or maybe just one or two and like and then the director sitting in a sound booth you know it's all very sterile um and they're speaking into a microphone and then trying to get the emotion that they need to convey in the scene but what they did instead was they got all the actors together in like a big kind of sparse warehouse had them like grab like loose costumes and then act opposite each other and then record the audio of that so there's all this footage of johnny depp and Elsa fisher and the rest of them all like walking around and interacting with each other and acting like the characters um in the movie and everybody everybody who did who was interviewed for this really really liked this idea they thought it was awesome um johnny depp said it was not motion capture it's emotion capture ah, which is freaking gold i love that well i mean it worked you know whatever you yeah. want to call it i think the voice acting in this was amazing across the board obviously johnny oh, depp yeah. brings it but i felt like it was very solid all the way down yes and there's a quote from Gore, the director, and he said, animation isn't a genre, it's a technique for telling a story. So why abandon all the things I've re you've relied on in your career? So having the actors actually, you know, across from each other, seeing each other's faces and reacting, um, like all of that, uh, I guess, adds an element of realism or like authenticity and stuff that you wouldn't normally get. It's things like mistakes or like improvision that you wouldn't normally be able to write in um, now is becomes way, way easier easier um and, and way more natural that's really the other cool things, that's really cool hon i i you okay. said that you saw a video on reddit uh do yeah. we have a link for that i do have a link for it. it is right here in our notes that's the that's the longer version it's the 28 minute version um which goes into how they actually did all the the character design as well which is all really fascinating but it, the the i can show you the time stamp for when that when they start showing all those little scenes um one of the other things that they mentioned was that when uh, the animators actually go to animate a film traditionally, what they'll do is they'll film each other acting like the characters to give themselves something to work with when they're trying to animate the characters <laughs> in the thing. So they were like, with having like video of Johnny Depp and all of his facial expressions and how he's acting gave us such a great model for Rango that we could actually make him act and look how Rango would look, right? Like, How did Johnny Depp get his neck to be in that position though <laughs> <laughs> that bothered me like the whole movie that rango's neck kind of like it was like crooked crook to the side <laughs> apparently that was like from the very beginning that was one of the things that they knew that was going to be part of his design was the the crook in his neck <laughs> um yeah it's it's really cool i never i don't know if anybody else has done this before i'm sure this is something that happens occasionally but it's a it's a it's a really unique way of of doing animation and it's it's just a, it looks like so much fun and it look and it sounded like at least for, you know obviously every behind the scenes video is going to be hyped up like it was the best experience ever but everyone at least seemed like they were having such a good time with it that it seems like a something that should be replicated in other movies yeah um just going back to megamind where we learned that will ferrell and david cross never even were in the same room for that movie uh, right can you imagine if they were you know i think they need to implement this uh more i mean if if you're one of these minor roles or uh, there's a lot of big names that i recognized in this uh on the imdb cast for this movie yes but, um it must have been so cool to be in the same room as johnny depp especially yeah, well, on the height in the height of the pirates uh right series. right that that was the thing that that that's what some of the other actors were, were saying it was like 
you know, it's amazing that I'm like, I'm actually acting across from Johnny Depp. Like this is actually happening, you know, and like normally like in, and if this has been no more a traditional animation setting than that, you never would have gotten that experience. Right. Yeah. Um, which is, which is cool. And then he, like, there's some other, like right at the end, I think, uh, Johnny Depp says something like all these people were so amazing and you'll never get to see them. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Alfred Molina was laying on his back when they were voice acting the part where he's just been run over by a car? the armadillo on his back in the middle i don't know i'm just imagining i didn't see that part but they did have they had did have ned Beatty laying in like a bunch of cushions on his back like pretending to be a tortoise (laughs) and they actually did throw a guy through a window to do like that part where rango's walking through this town and he like as the sheriff and he like talks to the turkey and tries to get him back to the bar there was like, like it was the actual stunt where a guy jumped through a window basically uh, just to get that scene a little bit better. <laughs> wow. I, I love that, this method. I, I'm really liking the... I mean, it shows through the movie that it, it, it's at least a viable method for making a good animated film. Yeah, it's really... I mean, it's pretty funny. And it's it's like... A, it's such a fun, whimsical way to do something, I think, that I I, I get a lot of enjoyment thinking about that. Um. Okay, I got some more Easter eggs for you. Uh, first of all, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a very famous Johnny Depp movie directed by Terry Gilliam, I think. Um, there's a there's a very short sequence where Rango is flying through the air, bouncing off of cars at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, one of the cars he bounces off of is a convert a red convertible driven by a guy with a bucket hat and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and that is a direct like that is a animated version of the characters from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas who with Johnny Depp's playing or starring in that movie as well. So why did he say another one when uh, Rango hit the windshield? Was that a reference to something? I don't know. <laughs> I can't Cause, remember. Well, cause it's been a long time since I've seen the movie. Okay, okay. I haven't seen it, but the reason I... Because I, when that happened, I was like, okay, th- this is something. They didn't yeah, just yeah. show us this for no reason. Like, I went back and looked at it again and... Like he hits the windshield and he's like, another one. And then the like smiley face, like uh, antenna topper that was on Rango's head, like cracks and falls off. And the driver is like, I knew it. And so I, I'm, I was like, why did he say that? What does that mean? That movie is all about like, it's basically supposed to be a simulated psychedelic trip. Like that's kind of like, what it is it's a it's a very weird movie um so i i cannot remember what that reference is and there's probably lots and lots of other references to other uh westerns um in this movie i know like the spirit of the west um like there's there's a is a reference to i think high noon there's a there's a character or like a a theme that goes along with that movie about the spirit of the west um but i have not seen enough west westerns to catch all of them but but this hey, is definitely a kind know. of movie where you know when they're showing you something like that, you're like, okay, this is not an accident. There's a reason. Yeah. So one of the other ones I did catch though was the Pirates of the a Pirates Three uh, dream sequence when uh, after Rango crosses the street um, and he, he crosses like, to the other side. That crosses to the other side. That's right. He collapses and he's carried around by those beetles, which is definitely a like. That the imagery is very, very similar to Pirates Three when he's on in David's Jones locker and he's being carried around by the crabs and like the you remember those like white crabs yeah. that look like rocks and like the, these cockroaches or like little beetles are like supposed to be like golf balls or something. They're, yeah, they're and, pill like, bugs. 
Yeah, yeah. And he's like, uh, there's like an endless sea of them, and they all uncurl and like do all sorts of weird stuff. Like that's that's definitely a Pirates Three reference. And then him being in the like the white void, talking to kind of an, like another person, uh, is definitely another like Pirates Three reference. So that was. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome too. Because uh, the people involved in making this movie, if anybody gets to, you know, bite our, you know, copy pirates, it's yeah. them. <laughs> it's definitely true. Definitely true. So, uh, yeah. Again, uh, during that sequence, they reference the man with no name, who is supposed to be uh, Clint Eastwood, but it's actually um, voiced by someone else, Timothy Oliphant, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it looks a lot like. Um, yeah, it's Tim Timothy Oliphant, which if you've seen ah man, what is he from? He's from some T V show. I can Oh, is he the guy from Justified? I haven't seen Justified. I wanna say he's on Parks and Rec, too. No, no, no. He is okay, he's on the later seasons of The Office, but he plays Danny something, who's like the salesman who's from a different uh Branch. paper company. No, different co uh. company completely. And uh, they bring him on um and then he had some sort of like he he went on a couple dates with Pam a long time ago. Anyways, if you've watched The Office, you know who I'm talking about now. Um, okay. <laughs> not important. But going back to this, the man with no name. Apparently, that was a character in a lot of westerns, like more than one. Um, right. Well, that was that was kind of like all of Clint Eastwood's western work is is like loosely connected in like the Clint Eastwood cinematic universe right. you could say and not it's not exactly it but he always played kind of the similar like lone gunslinger ranger type character um and in many of the movies he didn't have a name such as the good the bad and the ugly um like he's just credited as like like the man with no name basically so there's a lot of a lot of the movies he was in definitely was like that. And then, of course, um, Unforgiven is supposed to be kind of like an end cap to all of the stories that Clint Eastwood starred in, in a way. So, um, yeah, it's, it, saying The Man With No Name is definitely a Clint Eastwood reference. Having all of those uh, Oscars in the back of his um, uh, golf cart is definitely a Clint Eastwood reference. Um, the, which was The Golden a, a Guardians. <laughs> A fun like payoff to that, definitely, right? That they were like he's gar he's guarded by golden angels or guardians or something, and then you see what they are and you know exactly what they are. Like <laughs> that's cool. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, okay, my my next uh, uh, Easter egg. Um, this one is like very much in part in like diegetic in the movie, but there's a quick scene where they show the graveyard and they show like Amos, the last sheriff's. Um, uh, headstone and all it says is Thursday to Saturday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he, like, that's how long he lived. That's so funny. He didn't even get. He didn't even get the uh, to get to Wednesday to week. get the water. <laughs> no, he didn't. He made it. That's right. He didn't even make it to see the water ritual. <laughs> oh man. Okay, couple more things, real quick. Hans Zimmer, of course, like, a very famous, a very well known. Um, uh, a musical composer for movies, movie scores, uh, did the score for this movie. He also did it for um, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. So, again, Gore Verbinski calling in his uh, his known associates to help aid in this. It pays off. This movie's sound or score is awesome. 
It is the Rango theme, all the stuff that the little March Mariachi band plays, everything. Dude, remember so cool. when he was trying to like fit in in dirt, and he follows those three different guys around? Like he he copies their gait, the way that yes. they're walking, and each each gait comes with its own sound and it's to the yes. it's to the rhythm of the music i thought that was an amazing sequence and it's such a I small little bit too it's just it's only like 15 seconds but it's really well done and to think that like johnny depp might have been walking around following people that were walking weird <laughs> and like in real life it just makes sense like makes me smile so much uh, and finally i gotta mention that ilm industrial light and magic who is george lucas's um uh like visual effects company that he started um did the animation for this movie and i mean it's it's incredible it's actually it's a really really well animated uh movie yeah Um, yeah. it's uh what 2011 is when it was made yeah it looks so good oh it looks great yeah i mean i can't remember what what other movies came out in 2011 that are like i guess despicable me and megamind were around that time weren't they yes oh man i was reading about how this did well like this was on some sort of like top animated movies of 2011, which was considered like a strong year for animation. I can't, I've got nothing right now. I love Megamind, but this movie's like animation is so much better. I mean, it's just, it's a head and shoulders above. It's a, it's really, really good. So I've got one Easter egg for you, which is just something I read about uh, this movie that I thought was interesting, but apparently the Sacramento-based anti-smoking organization called Breathe California regard regarded Rango as a public health hazard. No way. Yeah, they said <laughs> there were at least 60 instances of smoking in the film. And because of this, some anti-smoking organizations, including them, uh, petitioned for the film to receive an R rating instead of the original PG rating. Wow. A, a, and obviously no no changes were made but they at least tried which i thought was really interesting and maybe if they had gotten what they wanted rango could have turned into that movie that i thought it could have been with rango getting killed <laughs> so uh That's just something crazy. an interesting thing um because there is a lot of smoking in fact it, it, i mean at what point do you draw the line with like smoking on screen influencing people to smoke in real life like do you think people are going to actually like take a cigar out of bad bill's mouth and eat it <laughs> like, well i saw it in does rango that, does that count like so the, so bad bill smoking obviously counts but does rango spitting fire in bad bill's face does that count as a separate smoking incident that's what i want to know um i like personally no i don't i don't think that like i understand what they're saying about it like normalizing a bad behavior but like this movie kind of exists in a different context like it puts you into a a world where it's like i don't actually think i want to live in dirt you know it's like i kind of like i want to go to arendelle and meet you know anna and elsa and like and do ice magic and like and play with the nordic animals and stuff but i don't want to go to dirt like this doesn't sound like a great place to be so I, one of the one of the the artists um, in that little behind the scenes feature I watched, he mentioned how like uh, like other animated movies. I'm paraphrasing, but he said that um, other animated movies kind of condescend to kids and they like kind of talk down to them. And he like he's like kids don't kids recognize that they see that this is they see what you're doing that you, if you if you talk down to them if you condescend to them and sometimes they want to see something different like hey why why don't you show me something cool. And I think, and that was kind of their their 
their idea behind this or motivation for doing something like this was to show something different, but still for kids. Right. And then yeah, there's, lot, there's lots of shooting. There's lots of gun battles. You know, people people get shot, arrows, people's eyes, you know, all sorts of that you know, tower stuff. smashes that bird and kills it. Oh, my it. God. <laughs> that was awesome. But the um, but like that's kind of the point is it's like it's kind of like a it's like a dirty kind of like um yeah i, I like to i like to use grimy earlier right. i think that was a really good way to it's kind of like it. a gritty kids movie in a way yeah right no seriously. And like, there's definitely a market for that there's definitely kids who who would love to see something a little bit a little bit different you know that without so much clean and, and pretty stuff and if kids like to get kind of dirty i guess or like like to play in the mud um, might appreciate Rango more than you know someone who likes to dress as a princess. Sure, and, and also parents who are probably saturated with kitty films. Yeah. Uh, it might be a nice change of pace. Uh, I always feel like that's a good way to go because you know for all of the for every like gritty and and like for parents to kind of animated movie, there's at least ten that are just straight. This is candy for children, yeah. you know, the candy for their eyeballs. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with them smoking. I didn't even realize that there were so many instances of smoking until California, or Breathe California brought it up. So, anyways. <laughs> don't right, Breathe so, California. So, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a moment here to, uh, we've kind of talked about them just a little bit but i think we need to focus in on the uh mariachi band and their uh, roles yeah. as kind of like the narrator slash chorus right so i don't know if you're I, I, you might be because of the way you just used that but you might be familiar with the term the greek chorus where like like ancient greek plays used to have like a a group of people known as the chorus who are like the narrators slash like musical accompaniment slash like scene tra- transition people it was that was what the kids in class who didn't want to read on their own like when you're reading the play those Mm. would that would be the rest of the class like yes a few students would be individual characters and then the rest of the class is chorus would be a monotone like (laughs) and then they went to the (laughs) (laughs) yep yeah that's where i've heard of it from (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. so that's kind of their role which i i i don't know it's 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 different and it's it's cool i like the um I, I definitely like the dark tone that they said at the beginning, like you said about how they say that he's going to die. Um, and there's that one scene where they're literally hanging from nooses. Yes. <laughs> all four of them. <laughs> like, like, where's my, yeah, where's, uh, you know, hang California's, uh, you know, where, why aren't they on this? <laughs> right. Um, well, I also thought it was interesting how many times they used the word huevos um, which in Spanish mean? Mean, it means eggs, but in, for every time that they were using it, it means testicles or balls. <laughs> like, cause they kept on talking about how, and I thought it was funny that they all, they would sometimes switch to Spanish just to say huevos. Like I'll, I'll grab you by your huevos, you know, like they would say that. <laughs> and I think that helps them retain the PG rating, you know, cause it's like, our oh, kids can't speak Spanish. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and they did that a lot. I kept. Uh, I. I was very uh, aware of how many times they were referencing that. What's uh, your What's your estimated webos tally? Ooh, I'm gonna go with seven. I'll probably seven go with seven webos throughout the movie at least. And um, <laughs> but I. I did. I. I. I did like their. Um, 
their presence as like external narrators because obviously they're in the title sequence with the huge Rango letters, which I assume don't actually exist. And but they also interact with Rango in the movie. Like earlier, we were talking about how they ride those birds that come up out of nowhere. Well, they were like, "Hey, this is the part we're gonna ride right now," and like kind of <laughs> saying like, yeah. "Get the music started," you know. Which I thought <laughs> it was funny how they're not they're not in the story, but they also definitely are. So right, they're just there <laughs> hanging out to be annoying. <laughs> uh, it's cool. Yeah, I I I really like that, and I, and I think it was aided a lot because the songs are so cool and, and fun and catchy. Um, you know, if if the music sucked, then it wouldn't nearly as be they wouldn't be nearly as welcome. Uh, but th- they definitely deliver. So yeah, no, and and as a Mexican American, I always enjoy seeing Mexican culture portrayed in film and like while they might definitely be a part of like the mexican-american culture of like hey look here's here's a marachi band look how mexican also maracas and sombreros but also those things actually are very much mexican culture like i when i visited my family members in mexico city at a restaurant with all just mexicans there there's not a touristy place a mariachi band showed up and everyone was totally psyched so it's like (laughs) not like it's definitely not um i don't know whatever you want to say cultural appropriation or or pandering It, it really is like actually representing mexican culture which i like um Let's go, uh, Mexicanos. And uh, with that, I think we're ready to move on to our quotable moments. And I've got the first one. Water, Mr. Rango. Water. Without it, there's nothing but dust and decay. But with water, there's life. (laughs) Look at them. So desperate to live, they'll follow it anywhere. That's the immutable law of the desert. You control the water, and you control everything. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier, this metaphor for what water represents, right? It, it represents currency, but it also kind of represents just, like, the necessities of life, anything that you actually just Right, like how need. water normally, what water yeah. re- represents to us. You know? The metaphor is that water represents water. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, but um, but yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, what what exactly is, is is the movie trying to say with this? Like, obviously, it's true that um, you need water to live, but what are I we supposed stop, to learn here? I can't stop thinking about that Justin Timberlake movie in time, where they all have like uh, like their lives are currency, like the amount yeah, of time yeah. you have left to live is like written on your arm, and like it counts down. And like you, you spend money to live basically. The it, like that's all I can think about is like how water is life, but also money, right? So I feel like that I, there's there's I feel like that's there's there is something there, right? About how like you can you can't live without money, you can't live without water, I guess. So it, it makes sense that there's a kind of in, in, there's no like in between yeah like yeah it's like that one could be the other right but, like you don't even have to make the jump from being broke means that you're gonna die it's like in this case it's just you don't have water you're gonna dry out in the desert you know right but then i think the problem with that i have is like that water is like almost something that you need constantly right like as far but like money would be more akin to something like food where like you could survive a little while while without it but eventually you would need it 
right? and you would also suffer the longer you go without it like things would right. become more difficult for you and and you'd become like exhausted and sick because you've gone so long without water you go long enough without water you you show signs of dehydration right um it was very clear it's super hot here. Rango dry his skin dried out twice in a row uh, immediately. And uh, so, yeah, it doesn't really make much sense if the town has gone so long without water that they're all just, just sad about it, not necessarily dying, you know? Something that I was thinking about later, and maybe it was triggered by something I, I watched in one of those behind-the-scenes things, but Rango doesn't belong in the desert, but all the other characters do. Like, they... So they're desert animals. So they're used to going long times without water. Rango is the one that is most susceptible to it not being there. Right. So maybe that's maybe that's where my disconnect comes. Is like for Rango, it feels way more immediate and like something that he needs he needs right away. Whereas for everyone else, that's not quite the case. So they can survive for longer without it. Right. Right. Which would make the money and water metaphor fit better, I think. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a very clear metaphor when that mom was taking the, her son's college savings out. It was like, here you go, two gulps and a swig. <laughs> <laughs> That's your college tuition. <laughs> yes. All right, next quote. You see them, Mr. Rango, all my friends and neighbors? It's a hard life here. Very hard. Do you know how they make it through each and every day? They believe. They believe it's going to be better. They believe that the water will come. They believe against all odds and all evidence that tomorrow will be better than today. People have to believe in something. Right now, they believe in you. This is a... This is an interesting quote and an interesting development for this mayor character, right? He's definitely like he's definitely like a sinister guy and like the way he interacts with those like little maggots or whatever that he's feeding water, it makes him feel like kind of gross and like impassionate. But at this point, with, with especially with this this line, what he says, it makes it sound like he's on the side of the people and on Rango's side. Right. He's like, I'm looking out for them. Like we need to inspire belief because that way that's how things keep going. Right. That's how we get to the next day is if everyone believes it's going to get better. And right now, like you're that inspiration. So, you know, do your job, which is um, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of inspiring and, and like certainly kind of muddles the water a little bit so that when he when it turns out that he's definitely the bad guy, you're like, oh, wow, I guess like he was always the bad guy. and I just didn't quite see it. I think that's what makes him kind of a compelling villain is that he kind of, is his his motivation is very kind of, is like very clear but not necessarily evil, right? Well, he definitely plays with a full deck of cards. Like he knows how to be in power, how to stay in power, how to manipulate people, be friends right. with those that are powerful because obviously Rouse Snake Jake could just kill him too, right? If he right. wanted to, but he in not like he basically employs him to do his bidding. So he's he's an effective leader, uh, which yeah, again makes his downfall that much more satisfying because you know you're actually defeating someone who's somewhat competent. Absolutely, yeah, and, and but also not like inherently evil. Well, yeah, and actually that's a good point because I, I was thinking uh, about what his goal was, which was to end dirt and begin this new like metropolitan population where yes. he would 
that he was building on his own. That's why he was getting rid of all the farmland. And while the way he's going about it was definitely cruel and uh, caused a bunch of unnecessary suffering, I also was like, is he wrong, though? Um, is he wrong to march forward and progress and move on to the next thing? Maybe life in whatever the mayor's new city would have become, maybe life would have been easier there. And uh, the people of dirt would be happy to leave their old lives behind. Maybe, but maybe, or maybe that's just maybe that's just a myth of progress. Well, and the mayor is assuming that they wouldn't let go of their farms, that they're going to like hold on to what they know. So he's making that sure. choice for them. I see. I mean, oh, not yeah. to mention that he kind of founds, or or rather, like I don't know if he founded it, but he definitely cultivates a pseudo religion in the form of worshiping that faucet. Oh yeah, that was freaking weird. Yeah, <laughs> like like the like the whole ritual and everything. Yeah, the way that they, is this normal civic behavior? <laughs> 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 that was um, it was bizarre, and I also got kind of like a little bit of um, you know this movie is like hey like religion is fake like they're trying to, like, <laughs> trying to um, you pull back the curtain, you know? It's like this is just a corrupt guy trying to like influence you using some sort of worship. So, like, to kind of piggyback on that, back to the quote, like, when he's saying that Rango is what they believe in and that they need something to believe in, is this a lie? And if so, is it, like, a necessary lie or a noble lie? Um, I don't think it's a lie that they need something to believe in. Because I think we're shown throughout this that the town will quickly devolve into chaos without some sort of unifying force, some some sort of uh, yeah unifying force that they can join together instead of just tearing each other apart. I think that that definitely uh, is established. But at the same time, I don't think that the mayor ever had any sort of confidence in Rango. I think he picked him specifically because he thought, here is a perfect buffoon to distract the populace while I complete my scheme. Gotcha, gotcha. No, that makes sense. Okay, I'm moving to my next quote. Attention, everybody, I'm trying to make a point here. Let's say this fella here were to take a drink of water. Just one little drink, no harm, no foul, right? And you! Why, you're just as dried up and parched as a jackrabbit in July. So you belly on up and take you a double shot. Stay with me. What do you think happens then? Why, we'd all be drinking. And before you know it, there wouldn't be any more water. And then where would we be? We'd be thirsty. <laughs> so, so this is clearly just Rango trying to like assert his power to get a drink or three of water. Yeah, this <laughs> like is in front of everyone else. Yes, this is where you're, um, you're, uh, you know, being aware of how how they need water, especially Rango. Like, finally, he's actually having some water. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know it was satisfying to see him do that, but it was also like. Like you could tell he's just like he's just a grifter in a yes. way. <laughs> I really like that like go back going back to like that religious scene where they're all like dancing or, or doing that thing where he's fighting with that old woman over her glass of water. <laughs> and like they it parts and he's just like like wrestling with her and then he like comes by and steals somebody else's as he's walking by. Like he just doesn't care. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I uh wait, wait Rango is is not very art. Nah, like not very eloquently articulating here is something called the tragedy of the commons, which is that if you have a common area or a common source of something, 
something uh, something that lots and lots of people are pulling from, and there's no sort of rules or regulations on how people pull from it, then eventually that thing becomes depleted beyond the point of reuse, uh, which is something that you see over and over again um, throughout the world. Whenever you have some sort of natural resource, especially um, people uh, without any sort of I mean, uh, here's a great example. How about uh, toilet paper in the age of oh coronavirus? Oh, my gosh. Right? Great example. If you, just, if you just have a whole bunch of toilet paper for sale, then somebody can come in and take all of it, and suddenly nobody has it, right? Whereas if everyone took their their fair share, or if you were to regulate how much people could take, then suddenly more people have more toilet paper. So it's this kind of like, uh, like this weird kind of disconnect you have to make where it's like, I could just take all of them. But if I did that, then nobody would have any, including me, just not right now. <laughs> right, right. So it's a, uh, I don't know, it's an interesting philosophical it, Yeah, it's so timely, and especially yeah. with coronavirus going on right now. Um, although the difference between the coronavirus toilet paper situation and the water here is, uh, you know, with the supply, as like, provided the supply chains hold up, there will be toilet paper again eventually. Um, in this case... I mean, Rango, I guess, was trying to get to the same point, which is that we have to get more water. <laughs> Don't deplete this now. And also, right. we have to figure out a way to get more. Um, but let me have mine right now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the type of thing where it'd be difficult, really, to stave off a crowd like that that knows that there's no more water coming. Um, people in real life are just acting irrationally because they're like, where's my toilet paper? You know, like... <laughs> I got to go get it now. I got it now. And uh, even though it'll definitely be back in the store um, before long, you know, at the same rate that it usually is. Right. All right. Let's go on to the next quote, which is one of mine. No, thanks. Mr. Rango, can you tell us about the spirit of the West? Oh, yeah. I heard about that. Is it what they say? Ah, uh, yes. The spirit of the West. The eternally unattainable ideal. They say he rides in an alabaster carriage with golden guardians to protect him. But he only appears to those who have undertaken an epic quest and have made it to the other side. So I paused it after he paints this little, um, what do you call that when you you like leave your aperture open on your camera and all like the a light. long exposure? Well, yeah, so his, his long exposure drawing with his uh, ignited stick, and yeah. there are so many things that he draws that are straight from movies. He draws a big old <laughs> dinosaur. He definitely draws Tie Fighters, like specifically Tie Fighters. He draws a shark. He draws the logo for the band Kiss. Really? Uh, he draws some tanks and airplanes and he draws like a nuclear explosion amongst other things but those are the things i picked out and going along with the man with no name and this whole meta satire of westerns i feel like this whole like spirit of the west i mean it's obviously about the west but i also think it's about just movies in general and like what it takes to become like what it takes to get to the other side to make it quote unquote to make it. Um, and when he was drawing this, like I felt like dinosaurs is like, what do you think of when you think of dinosaurs in movies? What did I think of? Yeah. Jurassic park, Jurassic park, obviously, you know, like that's so they've made it right. When you see a tie fighter, it's like star Wars, you know, you don't get that confused with other space things. That's star Wars. When you see a shark, even just the, cause all they show is a shark fin. I immediately in the context of these other things, 
Josh. Sharknado. <laughs> Sharknado. <laughs> You're a close second, but obviously you jumped to Jaws. I mean, you can't write kiss like that. I mean, obviously the word kiss doesn't have anything to do with like the action of kissing. Like the band is completely its own thing, but mm. you see the word and, and, and with the jagged S's, you're like, that's the band kiss, you know? Right. Um, the tanks and explosions are a little bit less, you know, succinct, but I think that there's a bunch of, you know, war is also a very popular thing to put on the screen. So I thought it was interesting that they, they kind of honed in on this Hollywood, um, sp- like specifically what it means to make it an entertainment, um, mm. which is what I got out of this. And it's, that, that's interesting. It all kind of fits in because Rango's an actor. He's pretending to be a sheriff. He's trying to become this hero. And the spirit of the West is not necessarily the same for everybody, um, as mm. the armadillo points out later, that it, you see what you need to see. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think it goes is a broader spectrum than it just being specifically to Westerns. I think that they're making kind of the um, a reference to the idea of trying to create something that quote unquote makes it and and makes a lasting impression on the populace and goes in goes down in history. Right, which is kind of comes back to like uh, the the tortoises or the mares' um, uh, speech about legends, right? Yes, when that Rango is like part of that. The, the old myths and everything, which yes. is definitely what he's referencing here. That's cool. I didn't I didn't make that connection. That's a very uh, it's a it's a it all fits together so nicely with that. You it know? does, yeah, and it's so quick. Like they yeah. right after that, they're on to the next thing. They're like, well, how are you gonna deal with the rattlesnake, Jake? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's my brother. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, one last quote. Don't you see? It's not about you. It's about them. But I can't go back. Don't know that you got a choice, son. No man can walk out on his own story. So I, I thought that was interesting. For me, this sounded like a huge cliche. And I'm, I was wondering if you got something out of this. Because he's saying no man can walk out on his own story. I mean, it's literally true. This movie is Rango. It can't end with him just, I give up. You know, it's not a choice that you can make because it's a movie. But beyond that, I, I was having trouble understanding what it means. Well, there was this motif of like Rango framing things, right? Yes. He would draw. He would draw like boxes, which are supposed to be like screens, I guess. Like you were viewing it through a screen, and that that's how it, that's how it is. He he's he's very self-aware of his own place right and the fact that when he arrives in a new place like dirt he can just be whoever he says he is right which i think is a like a very interesting way to kind of approach life especially when you kind of discover that he doesn't really have a name until he shows up at dirt and someone asks him right and suddenly he has to come up with one the um what I like about the, like the man with uh, no man can walk out on his own story thing is that like, like your story follows you in your in, in a way, right? If the story is about you, then you can't. There's nothing you can do to run away from it because it's all whatever you do is going to be the story that is your life. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, is that different than what you were saying? Because like obviously it'd be disappointing if Rango was just like I'm done, and then the movie would be about beans and the rest of the town trying to solve it, right? But like, and that would be disappointing. But like, literally, it's not like the story is about whatever Rango does. So why not make it 
something great or something wonderful to watch. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of pulling it together now. So it's like to make it to the, like, there's obviously this, uh, they talk about how you have to have conflict to become the hero. You have to go through peril to make it to the other side. And Mm -hmm. you, once you're in the conflict, once you're, you know, your story is being told. Yeah. There's no other way than to be in your own story. You can't escape. You can't walk out of your own life. So if that's the case, then you just have to act. You have uh, you have no other choice than to, okay. I, I'm getting it now. <laughs> the uh, the light bulb above my head is fully lit um, of uh, understanding. I think where they were going with this now, uh, which is well, great I because I knew this movie had an idea of what it was trying to say. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and I like that they don't make it like they don't totally slap you up the side of the head with it. No, it's definitely like a it's a very much like a personal responsibility kind of tale, and I think. What I think is great is how Rango pretends to be a certain type of person and then eventually embodies that person fully, right? When he's first facing down Rattlesnake Jake and, and Rattlesnake Jake says, you know, I can see it in your eyes. You're not a killer. Like, you can't do it, right? You can't pull the trigger or, or whatever. And then later when he comes back and has kind of reaffirmed himself, suddenly he has that steely look, right? And, he, and, and Rattlesnake Jake gives him uh, the respect that he deserves. So... But the only thing that's really changed there is that Rango has resolved himself to 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 be the person that he says he is. You, you know, before he he was insecure about that and in constantly trying to uh, make other people believe that it was true by putting up some sort of front. But suddenly, like there's no reason why he couldn't just be the sheriff. You know, he couldn't just start acting and behaving and doing sheriffy things. And then suddenly he is so. Like his full transformation at that point is totally one that comes from within, um, because of the circumstances he's put in, which is awesome. It's like a, it's such a like liberating way to have that told, and 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 in the animation too to have all of those expressions and everything played out so subtly on your characters' faces uh, is like difficult work, and to do that as well they did it here is awesome you know because that scene where he's talking to jake and he puts the gun down over and you can see kind of in his face and everything his reaction like there's no there's almost no word spoken by rango at that point you don't know what he's there's no dialogue to indicate how he's supposed to feel all you got is what he's what you see on his face yeah i mean speaking of his facial expressions it's um obviously a lot of the ways that these animals act and emote is very human but one thing that sets rango apart is that he his eyes are like circular and they close in in a circular way so when he's like right closing his eyes it's like they're they're tiny little circles as opposed to like a slit as like a human eye would be which totally changes the way you're going to perceive that yeah it's very cool i uh that really brought it all together for me, which is perfect because I believe you know what time it is, Joey. It's time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. All right, so I actually got one more quote for you. You ready? One day soon, all this is going to fade into myth. The frontier town, the lawman, the gunslinger, there's just no place for them anymore. We're civilized now. That's right. Civilized. <laughs> That's what the future holds. You can either be part of it are you going to be left behind? So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I want to take this into a different direction. This, um, the mayor at this point is talking about the difference between the little people's problems and his own problems, right? He's like, people of dirt 
They're so short-sighted. All they care about is the water. All they care about is their land and stuff. I'm trying to build a civilization here. I'm trying to get to the other side. Like I'm trying to like move us up a level, right? And like you guys are too small-minded to see things that way. This for I cannot stop thinking about this Wired article I read about this clock called the 10,000-year clock or the clock of the long now. Is this ringing any bells for you? No. The well, great, because then I can frame this in a way that makes makes my point, because <laughs> you don't have any <laughs> oh, context. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Which is what I do anyway, but I love pointing it out, too. The, <laughs> so there's this... Uh, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what this is. So the Clock of the Long Now is a project by this guy named Danny Hillis, uh, who founded this foundation called the Foundation of the Long Now, which is basically this guy's pet project where he wants to build some sort of monument that's going to last a really, really long time. And his his goal is to make a clock that lasts 10,000 years. And he's going to build it in the middle of the desert, in the middle of a mountain. And I actually read all, th all through how they're going to do all of this stuff. Like the way it's going to actually work for like 10,000 years is use the difference in temperature between like the night and day. And that's going to somehow like mechanically work through the clock. Some of the like key, some of the like engineering problems they have to solve is like that metal when it's in contact with each other for long periods of time will actually fuse naturally. So they actually have to make some of the like key gears and stuff out of ceramics, which like there's like there's all sorts of new high tech ceramic technology that makes it harder than diamond or something like that. Anyway, the clock itself is like going to be 200 feet tall and run by like weights. And you can, act, and once it's built, the, people can visit it and actually wind it up yourself. Like you can push a big thing and it will wind up and it has like 3.2 million different chimes in it. And it will randomly select, like it will use some sort of mechanical computer to randomly select 10 chimes every time it's wound up. So every time you go and visit it or wind it up, it's a different noise that it will make. And it will also chime at certain intervals. Like I think it's every year or every hundred years or something, it will actually just chime and like without anybody touching it. Um, who knows if any of this is like feasible at all? I, I feel like there's still a lot of problems they have not solved. Nothing we have ever built has lasted 10,000 years. The pyramids in Egypt aren't 10,000 years old. It's older than civilization itself. Well, and we didn't even build those too. So it's like e aliens haven't built anything that's lasted that long either. Great point. <laughs> Anyway, so when I first, when I was reading about this and this Wired article, at first I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. Like, first of all, I'm a big fan of clocks. Love, love clocks. Like, we can talk about why I love clocks later. Oh, we don't have time. Definitely don't have time. <laughs> that was that was a clock pun. <laughs> that was a clock pun, and I, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> Also, I really like this idea of like long-term thinking. I'm a big sci-fi guy, so I like thinking about what the world would be like in 100 years or 10,000 years or, or whatever. Or right? what it was like um, hundreds of years ago. Yes. It, shout yes. out to our to our book on how to... Uh, yes, yes. What was it called again? Was it, how to Invent Everything. How to Invent Everything, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the other direction as well. That is That is a thing I like to do. But what makes this thing interesting i think is that it's kind of a a uh a testament to like a a certain perspective that is only allowed by the very very privileged and that's why like i have jeff bezos written down here like he is a 
he's a big funder of this. this this thing was just like an idea that somebody had that danny hillis had and now and now jeff bezos found out about it and he's like oh, i want to fund this this thing and i have nothing like personal against jeff bezos i don't have anything personal about against like billionaires in general but like they can spend their money however they like and if they wanted to spend it on some you know kind of dumb project like this then they absolutely can but I think it's like the Wired article kind of framed it in this way that I, I want to reiterate, which is basically that only people that don't have to worry about problems of today have the luxury to start thinking about problems of the far, far future. And that's kind of how I'm tying it into this movie, right? The, the, the tortoise is like, ah, all these people in dirt, like they're so small minded. They can't think past tomorrow, right? I'm thinking of the far future. Same thing with Jeff Bezos and this long clock, right? He's like, uh, I, these people today, they're so short-sighted. They care about things like climate change and how they're going to feed their families. I'm thinking about the far future. But, but the thing that's, that's tragic is that we might not make it to 10,000 years from now because the problems we're facing today are so existential. Things that are greater than climate change, uh, even, you know, threats of dis like experimental diseases which we're seeing uh, like the effects of just a a not like a, a relatively like non-lethal one as far as coronavirus goes there there could be far far worse ones like hiding in people's labs that could get out there's like threat of ai uh that could destroy us in a moment there's there's uh, like climate disaster that could wipe out tens of thousands of people or or or, or like in, in a single moment, you know, because of some sort of like tsunami or earthquake. Like there's all these things that, all these problems that we oh, yeah, have to solve first. Oh yeah, not to mention nukes. We could, yes. we could destroy ourselves, you know, in an instant. Yes, that's, the, that's definitely the big, you know, we'll definitely destroy ourselves. That's definitely the, <laughs> that's, that's definitely the most likely outcome. But like, or the only reason we wouldn't make it to 10,000 years anyway. So like the more you start thinking about this and the more you start kind of seeing it as the a privilege of of a certain type of person it stops being like this tribute to like uh the the distant future or what the long now says like are we good ancestors is like what kind of the idea is um, and it starts kind of looking more and more like an egg timer for Jeff Bezos's uh, cryogenic timer or cryogenic uh, <laughs> uh, chamber you know, like yeah. he's like, he's, he's like, I want to see what, I don't want to worry about today's problems. I want to worry about tomorrow's problems. And I mean, it's not just him, right? It's anybody who, who kind of has that kind of luxury to, to not have to worry about that sort of thing. Something that I don't see hardly ever, because I think it's probably a dangerous idea to pass around is that like climate change, uh, disaster, stuff like that is probably going to affect people that are on the lower income bracket more so than other people you know everyone in a way will be affected but it's the people that can't afford to move people that don't have two houses you know people that uh you, can, you know ha whatever restrictions they have um are they going to feel the brunt of this and people like we don't know wh who's going to be affected but we can say pretty hand like pretty pretty safely who's not going to be affected <laughs> it's the billionaires yeah no seriously <laughs> right I think this is a great thing to bring up for, in regards to this movie because it totally it's a great counterpoint to what I was saying before which is like why not have progress why not work towards the future why not look past dirt and look forward to the like animal version of Las Vegas that they were building <laughs> but that's 
such a heartless way to look at it when there are people who are struggling to survive just today. You know, if you have the means right. to, you control the water uh, to provide for the people here, why not give that to them now? You know, you have to really be of a different mindset to be able to look beyond that and say, no, what's more important is that I build this thing that doesn't exist yet for future generations. Right. And it's, and it's, like I'm trying to save people that don't exist yet, and I'm not even sure if they're going to exist because the problems of today are so dire, right? If you like thinking like oh, I want to know what the world's gonna be like in ten thousand years is is fine, but but thinking that we're gonna get there without as much effort and uh, like help and like as much as like as everyone kind of working together towards some sort of common goal, which is our own survival, is. It, like is ignoring the steps it would take to get to that point right like you're 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 not putting your priorities in order exactly and like i i really again like i really like the kind of general idea of something like this but you can see how it becomes this kind of dangerous like escapism type mentality right so i'm gonna bring up um uh <laughs> in remembrance of earth's past which is one of my favorite heart sci-fi uh series which i've mentioned several times in this podcast written by six on lee liu uh the first book is called the three body problem won a hugo award it's a awesome series in the second book we learn the human race learns that there are aliens coming to um earth to just to, to take our planet and kill us but it's going to take them a long time to get here like close to like four or five hundred years so the question is what do we do about it and one of the one of the uh proposed solutions is why don't we just leave and this becomes a what's decided to be a dangerous and unstable ideology and, and becomes outlawed. Uh, as, you can't actually act on this idea, uh, according to like the United Nations in the book. And the, if you start thinking about it, it makes perfect sense. Because if you say, oh, let's leave, some people won't be able to leave. And suddenly they have no incentive to let you leave either. <laughs> so if you... If, you really want to save everyone if you want to do that the right way then you cannot like wholeheartedly go after an escapist ideology something kind of a uh, note uh, that might be that might or may, may or may not be relevant but in that same desert that they're building that clock is uh, a big landing zone where jeff bezos launches his private rockets to space that's another one of his <laughs> hobbies <laughs> so again like I, I, I think f thinking to the future, planning for the future is definitely something that we should be doing. Thinking about what we'd be like in 10,000 years, it's a fun experiment. But like, if you have the means, I guess, or, or not even that, but if there are problems today that are so dire that, we're not, that are going to prevent us from getting to that distant future, and unless we solve those, we're never going to know what that clock is going to sound like in 10,000 years. Yeah. No, I totally agree. It's just, it seems to me like just a big flex by Jeff Bezos. He's like, guess what? I'm so rich. I can care about something that just in a bizarre astronomical way doesn't matter. Like I can sink a lot of time and energy and thought and the like, talent of very smart people into a project that is, doesn't matter at all. We'll all be dead. <laughs> Unless I cryogenically freeze myself, we'll all be long dead by the time this thing pays off. So don't, that's how I'm going to use my money. And like, uh, put all my cards on the table. I would definitely sign up to go see it once it's built. So I would definitely walk <laughs> the like. 
it's supposed to be like like a mile underground or something like that. Like you're supposed to like have to walk really really far to get to it, and that sounds awesome. So I'm we're all listen, dude. I love Marvel's <laughs> of engineering as much as the next guy, but to like you, I mean the way you put it, like just to put something where he's like this won't matter for at least ten thousand years is it, while there are other pressing matters now is very is mildly frustrating to say the least. Uh, right. So. But I like that, dude. That was a perfect thing. That was a, that was a great, deeper subject for this movie. I think that's, ex- oh, that's exactly you. what we want out of this segment. I think you nailed it. Um, but that is going to uh, bring us to the, towards the end of our episode about Rango. Uh, and as we do at the end of every episode, we are going to give Rango our rating. So, Joey, what rating do you give Rango? I give this movie until Saturday. <laughs> oh, just like Amos. <laughs> <laughs> I give this movie one bullet. Nice. Very nice. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. <laughs> all right, Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next, we are doing American Psycho. Yes, dude. I love this movie. This was one of the movies that was... <laughs> this is going to sound like a um, on cinema kind of like <laughs> quote. It's like, this is one of the movies that made me love movies. This is a, cla- a popcorn classic. Like, I, I watched this movie and I was like, wow, when you've got movies like this with Christian Bale in them, you can't lose. You can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what we're doing uh, on the next episode of Affable Chat. If you want to hear your voice on the podcast, you can. It's so easy. Everyone knows this. Everyone's been saying how easy it is to hear your own voice on Affable Chat. All you have to do is dial 833-600-2428. Yes, that's 833-600-CHAT. Call us anytime in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. You're isolated in your home because you can't go outside because of this crazy virus that's going around and you're bored. Call our phone line and leave us a message about how bored you are. We want to hear it. Everyone's been talking about how easy it is and how it's everyone loves. Everyone's actually been surprised by how easy uh, that calling our phone number is. So uh, make sure you dial that number. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, and wherever you listen to us, leave us a review. It really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at AffableChat on both or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat, and you just put up a off-script episode that you did That's not right. too long ago. We're actively making content all that's the time, right. video as well as audio, um, so make sure you check right. that out. Uh, but that's going to do it uh, for this episode on Rango. Um, great suggestion, Rango. Joey. This is a great, uh, a great oh, movie. Oh, thank I'm glad, you. I'm glad I've seen it now. Uh, but for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>